Titus chapter number 2. As we begin, I won't say it's a full journey, but as we look at these passages of Scripture over the next few weeks, lead us to Calvary. I say this every year, but I do not desire for us to be distracted uh, by the things of this world over the next few weeks when it comes to Resurrection Sunday. It's not about a bunny that lays chocolate eggs. Go figure that one out. Um, But it is about the resurrection of our Savior. And without the resurrection of our Savior, according to 1 Corinthians 15, we would be miserable. And of all men, most miserable. And we have hope and assurance and confidence that we too will rise from the dead to be able to spend eternity with our Savior, and that is solidified in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we think about that. I heard a message this past week as I was listening to preaching that, uh, you know, if God can raise Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, then you go ahead and put whatever trial or problem or situation that you're going through and see if it weighs up to being dead. Because Jesus came through that. And that's the power we have available to us. If God can do that, don't you think He can take care of us while we're living? And uh, we're thankful for it. Titus chapter number 2, if you found it and you're able to, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read the last five verses here, beginning in verse number 11. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I want us to come back and we're going to begin this morning with verse number 14 on this subject matter and this journey of lead us to Calvary Verse number 14, where he says, Who gave himself for us. Who gave himself for us. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to preach on this subject matter, that sin's payment requires a substitute. Sin's payment requires a substitute. Our Heavenly Father, we sure do love you today. What I'm thankful for around this world, the preaching and the teaching... Lord, the exhorting, everything that will take place over the next few weeks that emphasizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Lord, many times we step into that Sunday celebration and we have not given it a thought in the previous weeks. 
Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be pointed towards Calvary. But Lord, most of all, we'd understand the necessity of Calvary in our lives. And Lord, we would so cherish the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made for all mankind. Lord, would you encourage us today, and if there's one here that has not accepted Christ as their payment for sin, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their heart today. Thank you for what you'll do in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Sin's payment requires a substitute. I'll very simply, as we begin this at this time this morning, I want to remind us on why it requires a substitute very simply. And that's because the Bible says in Romans chapter number 6, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we understand through the scriptures and we still believe that mankind is born with a sin nature. That because of that sin we are separated from God. And if the wages of sin is death, and we understand that that is speaking of eternal separation from an almighty God, we understand that there would be no way in and of ourselves that we would be able to make that payment. And I don't know if you've ever gone to purchase something and, and they've laid out the terms in front of you and then you finally see the payment that would be attached to it and then finally the gravity of the situation weighs down upon you and you say, but I can't make that payment. You see, when the reality of our sin nature weighs upon our souls and we come to the, the realization that we are sinners by nature and we have broken God's law. And we understand what the payment is when someone maybe takes the scripture and, and lays out the scripture in front of us and the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts and lives and the realization comes that if that's the payment for sin, I can't make that payment. Because there's no way to be able to accomplish that in and of ourselves. Well, then maybe we can do good works and maybe God will take some of that off our debt. Well, it's like the Sunday school song that we sang years ago, I owed a debt I could not pay. And he paid a debt I did not owe. And we start realizing there's no good works when we start realizing what the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. When we realize that the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That word all means all. That means every one of us have come short of God's mark that has been set of God's glory. We cannot attain that on our own whatsoever. And so when we understand this throughout the scriptures, we understand that we cannot in any way make the payment on the debt for sin that we owe. Sin's payment requires a substitute. It requires someone else to be able to come alongside. But then let me ask you this. If I cannot make the payment for my sin because I have so much of it, how is it that I would be able to go to you and you can make the payment for my sin? Because guess what? 
you have just as much as I do. And it's not the amount of sin that we have that separates us from God. It's the very fact that by nature we're the children of wrath according to what Paul wrote to us in Ephesians chapter number 2 that by nature we're sinners. And so it's not that you have so much. It's not that I have so much. It's the fact that we are sinners and there's no human that would be able to make that payment for us. So how can I go to you? How could you come to me? How could you come and be able to confess your sins and me be able to say, here's what you can do to be able to be absolved of those sins? How about you pray 10 times and that will take care of that sin? Well, if that's the case, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on Calvary for us. But we see this little phrase here in verse number 14, who gave himself for us. And there are several times throughout the scriptures that we see this subject matter. And I want to share some thoughts and we're going to end up back here at Titus chapter number 2. So don't lose your spot there. But on this subject matter of sins, payment requires a substitute. I want us to see, first of all, the establishing of a substitute. The establishing of a substitute all the way back in Genesis chapter number 2, if you'll look back there with me. Genesis being the first book of the Bible, we went over this last Sunday afternoon that we believe in a six-day literal creation. We believe on the sixth day that God created male and female according to chapter number 1. But we get to chapter number 2 and God's given the instructions to mankind to be able to put them in the Garden of Eden to be able to dress it and to keep it. We begin reading Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die." And we have the consequences of sin that is given here for the disobedience against the word of the Lord. Well, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard about Adam and Eve. And you've heard about that serpent that comes to him in chapter number 3 in verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He comes and he begins questioning and getting Eve to be able to question the word of God. And by the end of this conversation, the Bible says in verse number 6 that the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, tree to be desired of. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now we're not given this period of time from Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 17 where he said don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to when the serpent comes and Adam and Eve both partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we're looking this morning at these consequences that God has laid down and said that the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now can I remind us as we read throughout the scriptures May I remind us that on that day we read through chapter number 3 and guess what? Adam and Eve are still living. And you say, well, that means that God lied on that day. No, he didn't. 
But the establishment of a substitute took place in the Garden of Eden on that day that Adam and Eve sinned against Almighty God. God comes down walking in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve had hid themselves. He calls them out. They, they reveal what they have done. God pronounces judgment. Of course, we know that, that Adam blames Eve and Eve blames Satan and the blame game has continued to go for the last 6,000 years. God pronounces judgment down through there. But we see this down in verse number 21 and I want you to see the first substitution that was made. It was not Adam and Eve that physically died that day, but may I say that a substitute was, giving, was given and did die on that day. In verse number 21, the Bible says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Do you understand this is the first death that we have recorded in the Scriptures? You say, well, it doesn't say that they died. Well, you go skin an animal and see if it dies. I'm not recommending that now, okay? But we do know according to the scriptures here, and many times we assume because the sacrifice throughout the Old Testament that we'll look at was a lamb, and many times we assume it's not said here in Genesis 3, but we assume that God killed a lamb and made those skins out of lamb skin for them, those clothes out of lamb skins. And a substitute, can you imagine how it was? And if I may read between the lines a little bit, I believe the first sacrifice of substitution was made there in the Garden of Eden. And can you imagine Adam and Eve standing by because of their sin, now death has entered into the Garden of Eden for the first time in history. And as that process takes place, as God performs that first sacrifice and literally that lamb was given up its skin and given up its life so that Adam and Eve could be clothed. No doubt Adam and Eve had to understand that day that if it was a lamb, if it was a sheep that was sacrificed on that day, that that lamb, that sacrifice was a substitute for them. The establishment of a substitute, as we see this, an innocent animal gave its life as a substitute, I believe, for Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And God established something there, was able to teach Adam and Eve. By the time we get to chapter number four, listen, Adam and Eve are giving birth to their children and they have Cain and Abel. And somewhere, Cain and Abel have been taught to sacrifice. They've been taught by their parents and they both bring their sacrifices but Cain decided to do it on his own terms and Abel followed that example that had been given and we know for the second time in Genesis in the course of history that death is recorded here but now it is Cain that is killing Abel here outside the Garden of Eden. And so we see the establishment of a sacrifice and now what begins a pattern all the way down through the ages of time, we have this establishment, this substitute that's been made. What should have very possibly, and God would have, would have been within his justice and within his right to be able to wipe out Adam and Eve and say, I'm going to start over. Can I say this? Whoever he started over with, guess what? They would have messed it up too. And don't get so much on Adam and Eve. If I was there, I probably would have messed it up too. 
You say, how do you know that? Because listen, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. I've got the completed word of God. We understand how the, the consequences of right and wrong. And how many would be able to say, you've gone this entire week without sin in one time against God? Aren't you thankful for a substitute that's been established? Now we see this establishing of the substitute. We're just going to trace a few things throughout the scripture. I want to give you the time to be able to make sure to be able to get there. But turn over to Leviticus. Yes, Leviticus. You say, where's Leviticus? Genesis. You're in Genesis now. Exodus and then Leviticus. Okay. Aren't you glad I'm not over in Habakkuk asking you to go back to Leviticus? And uh, we're turning over to Leviticus chapter number 16. Leviticus chapter number 16, and I don't know how you all are doing with your daily Bible reading this year. I will say this, your pastor's still up to date, and if, so if you're behind a little bit on your Bible reading, there's still time to be able to catch up, keep reading your Bible, and uh, I'm not going to ask how many got bogged down in the book of Leviticus. That's why it's good that you're just going through it, then you don't have to try to find it every day. Leviticus chapter number 16, we have the account of the Lord Jesus establishing here. How many have ever heard the term that they were just a scapegoat? You've heard that term? You know, that's a Bible term, right? That's a Bible term. The world uses it all the time. They just say, well, in this arena, or they, they just need to put someone up there as a scapegoat. Well, we have the establishment of a substitute back in Genesis chapter number 2. And chapter number 3, but in Leviticus chapter number 16, starting in verse number 6, guess what? We have the example of a substitute. Let's look at exactly what this substitute did, this example of it, verse number 6. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. And the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. You understand as you read down through this passage of scripture, the example of the substitute is two goats would be brought before the door of the tabernacle. They would cast lots, which one's for the Lord, which one's as the scapegoat. Whichever one the lot fell on would be sacrificed. And actually some of the blood from that, that goat that was sacrificed would be put upon the head of that scapegoat, would be taken outside the camp, outside the city and would be let go into the wilderness and it would be let go free to be able to go. It was a transferring of showing that this goat here is actually the substitute for this goat here. This one gets to go free. And I love this little phrase and we're going to come back to it when we get back to Titus here in just a few moments. But I love that phrase to be left alive before the Lord. 
You remember what the consequences and the payment for sin is before God? For the wages of sin is death. But the example of the substitute in our lives is that we, we would be considered that one that gets to stand alive before the Lord. But you know what the penalty was for that other one? And listen, those goats don't have a soul. I understand. I know as much as you love goats, I understand. Them goats don't have a soul. And I know that one goat didn't understand what was going on with that other goat. They may have been around together and they may go through separation anxiety when when their best friend is put. I, I don't know how that all happened, but I do know that this one went in and was sacrificed for the sin of the people and this one had those sins, that blood put upon them and was able to go free because that one was substituted for death. And I thought, here we are in our lives. Listen, I hope you know where I'm going with all of this. I hope you know we're not just getting a history lesson of that animal that was sacrificed back there in the Garden of Eden to be able to provide those skins for Adam and Eve to be clothed in. But then a little bit further, God's just choosing to just kill animals all over the place. No, you read throughout the Old Testament, that Old Testament law, can I say the example was given all the way down through history. As they would have to bring, listen, you could bring a lamb in. It had to be a first year. It had to be without spot. It had to be without blemish. If you didn't have the money for a lamb, there were times like this that you could bring a goat. If you didn't have a goat, there were times you could bring a couple turtle doves in there to be able to make that sacrifice. But all the way through history in the Old Testament here, the establishment and the example of a substitute for sin was shown throughout all of history. You know, there were times that the Israelites would have to come in and if they had sinned against Almighty God, there were times as you read throughout the sacrifices that that lamb or that goat would be laid there on the altar and as that, that, that animal would be put to death, there were many times that that owner of that had to put their hand upon the head of that sacrifice. And what that was showing is, listen, this sacrifice right here is a substitution for me. Now, up till this point, their sin had never been taken away. It just covered it. It just rolled it over and just rolled it over. It had never been taken away, but they were acknowledging by faith it's a substitute and the example over and over. Can you imagine the hundreds of thousands of people and animals that had to come before the Levite priests there in the tabernacle and later on in the temple and be able to sacrifice those animals? And it was all just an example. All just an example of a substitute. And it took place all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3. And that was established. God established it in the law all the way through the Old Testament that here's the example that's being set. We see it with the exodus uh, from the nation of Egypt that a lamb had to be slain. The blood had to be shed on the doorpost and on the side posts of the doors. We understand all that. The blood had to be applied. The sacrifice had to be made. All an example. But now can we take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter number 1, 
at this point for close to 4,000 years, examples have been made. At this point, for close to 4,000 years, a substitute had been given, and they still said thousands of years later that there were actually wild herds of goats. Is that what you call a group of goats? I don't know. But uh, these groups of goats were actually found running out there in the wild, and they actually said the only way they could have uh, come from and traced them back was to these scapegoats that were left to be free because of the other one that was sacrificed. For close to 4,000 years, the nation of Israel has come before the priest and come inside the tabernacle and come inside the temple when it was built and they brought their example in. They brought that in and they've laid hands on those animals and they've substituted for their sin because their wages of sin is death. Something had to die. But we come to John chapter number 1. And I just want to share a few verses here because we have the entrance of the substitute. It's not the establishing of a substitute. It's not the example of a substitute. But we have the entrance that is made here of the substitute. In John chapter number 1 and verse number 29, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. May I remind us with the scapegoat, the scapegoat was sent away, but with John chapter 1, the Lamb came in to take away the sin of the world. Of the world. This is he, verse 30, of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare John record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but that he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. The same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. Can you imagine after these 4,000 years of that establishment of a substitute, after these 4,000 years of the example of the substitute, John the Baptist is there in the Jordan River and he's preaching and teaching and he's baptizing there in the river and he looks up and he sees one coming. That John himself said there's one coming whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. But as he sees Jesus walking upon that river shore and that river bank that day, he points everybody, including himself, away from what he was doing, away from his message, away from his ministry. And he said, I want you to know that that substitute that we've been sacrificing for, that substitute that the examples have been given, that substitute that we've been preaching about, that substitute that we've been looking for, he's here. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Doesn't roll them back, doesn't send them away, but takes them away. 
And he announces right there to all the disciples that are around, to the nation of Israel that's gathered around, that's being baptized, that's observing the message. He said, listen, it's not about me. He said, but that Lamb of God, that example you've been given for these thousands of years now. He said, behold thee. Lamb of God. I don't know if that's capitalized in your Bible or not, but it's capitalized in mine. That's just a proper name for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What they have been waiting for. The entrance of the substitute. You know what the sad part is? Is that there's several that continue to go on and just be able to perform the example of a substitute. There's several that continued on. In fact, in one place where Jesus made that whip and drove them out of the, the temple, do you understand? There were those that were actually making money off the example that Jesus had get, given. And yet the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, who was without spot and without blemish. Listen, even a, a lost pilot said that he found no fault in him. You understand, lost people examined everything that they could about the Lord Jesus Christ and a lost person came out and said, I can't find anything wrong with him. And I thought, why is it today that people still look at the perfect and spotless Lamb of God that has the ability and has provided that sacrifice, that substitutionary atonement for each and every one of us and they still find fault with him? Behold the Lamb of God. Since payment requires a substitute, we have the entrance of this substitute. But then turn back over with me to Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2. Aren't you thankful for the Bible this morning? Titus chapter number 2 in our text as we look down through here. First of all, let me remind us what he said, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly right and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. I want to spend a few moments this morning finally and be able to give us the explanation of the substitute. Do you know there's been some that I've spoken to and, and uh, we've been able to share the scripture with them and we've been able to expound unto them Jesus and be able to understand that they are sinners. There's very few people, and I know we live in a, a moral and good society, but there's still a few people out there who think they've never done anything wrong. Sometimes you have to get their mom on the phone and be able to say, hey, would you tell your son that he's a sinner, okay, and just remind him of a few things? There's still people out there, listen, you can take them to the Bible, you can just start going through the Ten Commandments, you can just start explaining to them, and finally they come to the point of being able to realize that they've done things wrong and broken God's law. But I've been told this as they realize that, that they'll still try to pay for their own sins because they'll make this statement. Well, it's not fair that one person would die and take my penalty for sin. And can I say this? I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's not just. It's not fair. 
if you get the speeding ticket and they send the bill to me? That's not fair. That's not right. But can I say it's not fairness that the Lord Jesus Christ said that he would give himself for us. But it was love that said he would give himself for us. It was the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine in eternity past as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had a meeting amongst themselves and said, listen, this creation is going to sin. This creation and every one of them is going to come short of the glory of God. And we have a plan of redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ, just out of love, as the Bible says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he knew that we would not be able to pay that debt on our own, even though religions and multitudes and millions of people today are very well seated in churches just like this, trying to pay for their eternal salvation. They're going through good work after good work and sacrament after sacrament, saying, if I do enough, then maybe God will let me in. But the Bible says we all come short and that's why we have a Savior who gave himself for us. Now why? Because it says here that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Do you understand that it's not a matter of us being saved just so that we can live a better life down here on this earth? It's not a matter of us being saved so that we can have peace and tranquility inside of our homes down here. And I'm thankful that's a result of salvation. I'm thankful when you have a family that's saved, there can be unity and peace inside that home. There can be joy inside that home. That's not the purpose of salvation. That's not why Jesus gave himself. Do you know why Jesus gave himself? I'll explain it simply as this. To redeem us because of iniquity. I heard someone say it best. This was several weeks ago. He said, when God convicted my heart, the Holy Spirit of God was drawing me to himself. He said, listen, he said, I didn't get saved just to have any, an emergency escape out of hell or to be able to enjoy heaven. He said, but I realized that I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness of sins. And that's the explanation of a substitute. Jesus did that. He gave himself because, listen, there was no lamb, little L, that was going to be able to take away my sins. There was no example throughout history. There was no good man. There was no four-legged animal. There was no little bird. There was no scapegoat that blood and hands could be laid upon their head and sent out into the wilderness. There was none of them that would be able to give themselves for me except the Lamb of God. And we're getting ready to celebrate His death, burial, and resurrection here in just a couple of weeks. And it was Jesus Himself that said, No man taketh my life, but I lay it down willingly. Do you think every one of those animals just laid down on that altar? No. But there was one, the Lamb of God, Listen, I don't believe them Roman soldiers. I don't, I don't believe that they had to struggle and put four men on one arm to be able to hold his arm down. I believe, they, I, I believe that they drove nails through the hands and through the feet of someone that they'd never experienced before. 
Someone said, why do you think they blindfolded Jesus? And a preacher said, because the same look as they would come up and they would hit him on the face or they would scourge him and they would spit upon him and they would whip him with that cat of nine tails. Those same eyes that brought conviction to Peter was the same eyes that would be able to look at him and say, I still love you. And I'm doing this for you. And as even as he was hanging there on that cross to be able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you ever think that they had ever crucified a man or woman before that? That while they're hanging on the cross, they weren't cursing them. But perhaps this was the first one ever that looked down at him and said, forgive them. You ever think forgiveness was spoken from a crucifixion cross before? Who gave himself, make it personal now, for us. For us. Aren't you glad salvation is not abstract? But salvation is personal. For us. Let me read a few other verses to us and just remind us of this. In Galatians chapter number 1. Galatians chapter number 1, the explanation, I believe the scriptures just give it perfectly. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. I love that phrase, who gave himself for our sins. What does Hebrews chapter number 10 say? Hebrews chapter number 10, down around verse number 12. I'll start reading in verse number 11 because it ties it in with the example. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Makes it personal there. But this man, I've told you that before, right beside that verse, I have written one and done. One and done. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 2 and we'll close this morning. 1 Peter chapter number 2. He says in verse number 21, he said, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Do you understand when this type of wording is made in the scriptures, there's a part of this verse you can grammatically read without the other words in there. And in verse 24, you could read it this way, who bear our sins in his own body. 
But when we have extra words written in there that actually just repeat the previous principle, it's for added emphasis and shows us where the emphasis is in the verse. And the Bible says, who? His own self. He didn't put it off on someone else. But the Lord knew this is what it's going to take. And the plan that was there, the plan that was in motion, the plan that was ordained since the foundation of the earth was who his own self bear our sins. The explanation of the substitute. May I say as we go into this resurrection season, I'll remind us once again that this is our time as Bible-believing Christians. This is our time. This is the time that we celebrate. This is the time, listen, this is not an American holiday. This is a Christian celebration that our Savior died, was buried, and rose again as our substitute for sin. Because sin's payment requires a substitute. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't know how plainer we could put it from the Scripture that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for your sins. And He has already paid the price for every one of them. He already has. You say, well, what do I need to do? The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He said there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. There's no difference your heritage, your lineage, what side of the tracks you're from. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, Pastor, there's something working in my heart right now, and I know that I need that. Listen, that's the Holy Spirit of God convicting you and saying, you know you need what Jesus did for you. And if you'd simply call upon Him, you say, well, what's the magical words that I can say them? Guess what? I don't have any magical words for you to be able to say. But I do simply have this, that if you'll believe the Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and you call upon him, however those words may be, Lord, I'm a sinner. I mean, the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That publican that we're given examples of, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Realized who he was, realized who he was, <laughs> and knew that God could make a difference. Hey, listen, it's a matter of calling upon the Lord. But if you're here today and you are a child of God, well, there's no greater time to be rejoicing of what Christ has done for us. The establishment of that sacrifice, but then the entrance of that sacrifice. And understand, and listen, make it personal. Make it personal in our hearts and lives. Be rejoicing. Hey, Jesus died for you. He paid for your sins. So then here, here, here's another whole message. You take it and preach it to yourselves, okay? I'll ask the Holy Spirit of God to bring it back to you. If Jesus went through all of that for us and He was our substitute and is our substitute and paid for our sin, then how dare we as a child of God enjoy and cherish and live in the sin that God slew the Lord Jesus Christ for? How dare we enjoy that on a daily basis? 
How dare we live in that and relish in that and say, well, I can just go, go, go do whatever I want to do because I'm saved. Jesus paid for all of it. Jesus did pay for all of it. But if you're a child of God, he's going to chasten you. If there's sin in your life, he's going to scourge you. He's going to bring you back to himself because he loves us that much. Let's get a fresh view of what Jesus has done for us. Look at that example all the way throughout Scripture. And listen, as you're reading your Bible through and it comes to one of those sacrifices that was made, boy, just in your heart say, that was Jesus for me. That was Jesus for me all the way through the Scriptures. Well, I'm so thankful that a substitute paid my price, aren't you? You ever had that surprise? You pull up to a Dunkin' drive-thru or something. You pull up to pay for your coffee and they said, oh, the car in front of you already paid for that. We get so excited, we tell everybody about that. If I'll get excited over that, why wouldn't I get excited over Jesus being the substitute for my sin? And tell everybody about it. Hey, Jesus paid for your sin. Do you know that? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. There's a reason we sang that song before we get up here to preach today.